Welcome to another episode of the Around the Keg podcast, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. I'm your host, Whit Barfield. It is Tuesday, January 5th, six days until one of the most anticipated national championships of all time. But before we get into that, Devontae Smith was just named the 2020 Heisman winner. We have live reaction to that right now. Matt, I know you're happy about it. Oh, you know me. I am very happy about it, uh, obviously. Number three for Alabama. And weirdly enough, it, it's all happened in the span of Nick Saban being there. Uh, Mark Ingram was the first one in 2009. So, And then Derrick Henry and now Devontae Smith. So, uh, And like I guess an 11-year span, we've, got, we've had three. I think that's pretty good. Uh, considering the number of players that have come through the University of Alabama. And it's still crazy to believe that Alabama didn't have one until Mark Ingram with all the the great players in their history. Sean Alexander being one, Joe Namath, just to name a couple. Uh, Lucy's excited too, if you you can't tell. She's kind of pumped up. Uh, So happy days here in the Howell House. Yeah, I am very happy for Devontae Smith winning the Heisman, the first wide receiver to win the Heisman in 28 years. That is awesome. But I am also uh, very excited that Trevor Lawrence finished second in the Heisman voting. I think that speaks volumes to his greatness because even though he missed, was it uh, two games this year because of uh, COVID-related reasons, he still received 222 first-place votes uh, towards the Heisman. And Mac Jones came in third with 138 uh, first-place votes. So I just think that speaks volumes to uh, the voters and uh, that they recognize talent and that Trevor Lawrence is a fantastic football player that means a lot to his team but congratulations to Devontae Smith congratulations to the to the University of Alabama on getting their third Heisman Trophy winner and hey Matt if you guys get four more you'd be right right up there with the big dogs Oklahoma because we have seven so uh don't get too ahead of yourself man Hey, I think, you know, we're more worried about the the hardware that comes on January 11th than we are with the Heisman. And that's kind of been the history of Alabama. So, you know what? How many national championships does Oklahoma have? Oh, um, uh, that's actually a good point to bring up. So, since 1936, uh, the AP era, Alabama is at number one with 12. And coming in at, at second is, Notre, is um, Oklahoma at seven. Okay. And Notre Dame at seven. So, you can't talk too much crap. Wow. So whenever you get five more, you can uh, you you can catch up with the big dogs, right? Yeah, yeah, we can catch up with the big dogs. But there are there are, there are not many teams in college football that that have won more than five national championships. So that's not a lot of talk uh, crap to talk there. Hey, Wit, how many has Georgia won? <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Question. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not we're not gonna talk about this that on uh, this podcast or today at all. But uh, let's go ahead and talk about how Tim Brown. They showed Tim Brown on the Heisman Trophy ceremony, and I thought that was just so cool. Tim Brown was the first ever wide receiver to win the Heisman. Uh, he played for Notre Dame. He won it in 1987. And in a year where you couldn't have uh, Heisman Trophy winners in the building actually standing um, in front of the trophy and around everybody welcoming in uh, their new brother to the team, uh, to the Heisman house, um, it was really cool to get to see him on camera, um, a guy like Tim Brown. Yeah, that was really neat. I thought it was cool that they had Desmond Howard in, on there to interview uh, before. You know, he's the last wide receiver to win a Heisman. Uh, so it was really neat to, to see that. And just to see Devontae Smith's face like when they announced his name, he you, you could see all the emotion coming in his face, but he somehow managed to, like, channel it all in and, and still get, deliver his speech. Um, you know, he seems like a great kid. I mean, I obviously don't know him, uh, but based off of what I've seen and heard about him, seems like a great guy. So he's going to carry on the Heisman title in a good way, I think. Yeah, guys. Um, and I want to point something out. Kyle Trash. Uh, oops. I mean, Kyle Trask. He, he, he really took a hit 
in that bowl game when he threw three interceptions in the, in the first quarter because he only got 61 first place votes. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think after the uh, SEC championship, it was pretty obvious that Kyle Trask, and after the LSU game, Kyle Trask was just kind of taken out of it. Like, people weren't going to vote for him. And this is a weird year where people are getting to vote after the bowl games when you get to see people like Kyle Trask uh, play against teams like Oklahoma, where obviously he didn't have as good of a game. So um, that's gonna, that's definitely going to hurt what he was doing all season. Um, but I, honestly, I think after the SEC championship, it was kind of over for Kyle Trask anyway. I haven't been on the Kyle Trask train all year. I, I never thought he was as great of a quarterback as everybody was making him out to be. I, I, honestly, when I saw him climb kind of towards the top of that Heisman race at one point, I was I was a bit taken aback because I, I never thought he was really that elite, to be honest. Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, I think that a lot of, I mean, and, and Devontae Smith has a lot, or excuse me, Mac Jones has a lot of weapons like Devontae Smith and Najee Harris, but I think you could see how much Kyle Pitts meant to his team in that LSU game when he wasn't there, and then again in the bowl game when he wasn't there, and just how much Kyle Trask leaned on Kyle Pitts, and and that's not taking away anything that from what Kyle Trask did. I mean, he had a great SEC championship game against Alabama, threw for over 400 yards. I think he's second all time in an SEC championship for passing yards. So you know, I, not taking anything away from him there, but you know, you really saw how much Kyle Pitts meant to that team. Yeah, not only Kyle Pitts, but uh, Kadarius Tony as well, because Kadarius Tony can take the top off of a defense better than a lot of people in the country, except for Devontae Smith. Yeah, I would say if you're looking at just numbers, Kyle Trask for sure deserved to be up there. But the Heisman is not supposed to be picked by just numbers. Even though a lot of years it kind of ends up being that way um, when we have more even seasons when teams are all playing like 12 to 13 games or whatever. But in a year where we have teams that are playing six games, we have teams that are playing 10 games, we have teams that are playing eight, whatever. This it's nice to see that the person who won the Heisman is the person, the best player in the country. They deserve to win it. They deserve to win it over. Devontae Smith was the best player in the country. He wasn't a quarterback. He didn't have the best numbers. Um, he did for receivers. But I mean, if you look at Kyle Trask's numbers, he was better than Heisman Trophy winner Joe Burrow last year. Um, but it's not about the numbers. It's about play on the field. And I, I think it was pretty obvious that Kyle Trask was not the best player on the field. You know, speaking of good wide receivers and good players, the best player uh, in the country this year and the Heisman Trophy winner, let's talk about Devontae Smith and um, his outing in the Rose Bowl. Um, they absolutely obliterated Notre Dame. Um, I mean, I don't even think that was really a game. Yeah. So watching that game, I knew it was over after Najee Harris jumped over that Notre Dame defender and, and took it 45 more yards. Now, let's put this into perspective. That Notre Dame defender is no small human being. He is probably, give or take, six feet tall, maybe six one, And he was standing almost straight up, straight up, straight up and down. And Najee Harris jumped over him with ease and continued to run at full speed and stride and got 45 more yards. That is when I knew the game was over. That game really had no chance. Notre Dame had no chance. It was over from the start. I commend Notre Dame for coming out there and putting up a fight. But at the end of the day, Alabama was clearly better than Notre Dame. And uh, I can expect the same performance from Alabama in the championship game against Ohio State. I think that's going to be a fantastic football game. Yeah, you know, I hope you're right. I, I think that that was a, a really good outing for Alabama. Um, 
Second half got a little sloppy. I, I'm going to chalk that up, too. They saw the writing on the wall that it was going to be a, a, a beatdown, so the play calling became a little more conservative. Uh, you could see we weren't trying to attack them over the top as much. Went to the run game a lot more. But overall, I was extremely pleased with the way that Alabama played in that game. I mean, who wouldn't be? And, and you brought up the play that I, I so much cherished with Najee Harris. I want to say that on the broadcast, they said that the, that the defender was 6-2. I, I could be wrong on that. But I want to say that that's what they said on the broadcast, that he was like 6-2. And Najee just cleared him. And, uh, you know, uh, Devontae Smith making plays in that Rose Bowl that that really set us up for success early. He he scores on the screen play down the sideline. He uh has the slant that he I mean he just runs away from defenders. And there's there's no good defense for him. I I was really pleased to see the game uh turn out the way it did. Obviously, if you're a better, I'm really sorry if you had Alabama covering because Notre Dame got the backdoor cover. Uh but Man, it, it was a, it was a good day for to be an Alabama fan, uh, and you know, like the fight song says, "Remember the Rose Bowl will win." Then, yeah, I mean, Alabama just steamrolled them. Can we can we get an early cutoff here? I think we need to go ahead and cut off the four seed in the playoffs uh, because since 2017, when Alabama won it, the past three years really haven't been a game. I mean, you could say Oklahoma almost kind of made a comeback at the end when they were playing Alabama back in 2018 with Kyler Murray, but. Um, really besides that, I mean, LSU, Oklahoma last year, it was just an absolute beat down this year, absolute beat down. Um, it, it's just becoming to where honestly, there's really only like two or three teams in the country that really can compete for that national championship. I'm going to say something about that, that I, it's probably going to tick a lot of people off, but I think they need to stop looking at record in some instances when it comes to the four seed, because I think at the way that Oklahoma was playing at the end of the year, they were probably the fourth best team in the country, but they had two losses and no one wanted to say, Oh, well they're probably better than Notre Dame and Texas A&M right now. But, but the way that Oklahoma was playing at the end of the year and they get a big win against Iowa state. I honestly think that Oklahoma was probably the fourth best team in the country at this point in the season. It is the duty of the four seed to prove people wrong and try to win. And I mean, the four seed's supposed to lose. I know on our Instagram, our fans thought that Notre Dame should be voted out <laughs> of being able to be allowed back into the four seed again. Okay, so people who say that Notre Dame should no longer be able to be in the playoff, they stink up the show, yada, 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 yada. Notre Dame deserved to be there. They deserved to be there. They played in the conference championship game that they lost. However, they beat Clemson earlier in the year. Now, albeit Trevor Lawrence wasn't there, but still, their only loss on the season was to Clemson in the championship game. They deserve to be there. So if you're, you know, oh, they shouldn't be in the, the, in the playoff no more. They stink up the show. Well, no. If, if a team deserves to be in the playoff, then put them in. If they lose, they lose. That's on them. It's a joke. Did Notre Dame deserve to be in the playoff? Yeah, they did. Well, I mean, honestly, I don't think they deserve to be in the playoff, but no one that didn't make it behind them also deserved to be in the playoff. And honestly, that's the whole point. That's part of the point of having the 14 playoff in the first place because we were having teams like Notre Dame in 2012 that was undefeated, and they would just get into the national championship because we had to take the best two teams, and they were the only team that was undefeated. So now we get the chance to see like, oh, well, Notre Dame's a, a one-loss team. Uh, you can compare them to like uh, Texas A&M, who's a one-loss team at Cincinnati, who's undefeated. 
pick who's the best out of that. You pick Notre Dame because they have a better win than anybody else. Um, and then you stick them against the number one team, Alabama, and you give them a chance to prove that they're worthy of the record that they have. And obviously it was proven that they weren't, but I mean, it is what it is. That's the point of the four team playoff is you get to see these teams actually play against some of the better teams um, and give them the chance to show if they're actually good enough. I remember in 2017 when Alabama was the four seed going in to play Clemson in the Sugar Bowl, nobody really gave Alabama, like I wouldn't say people were counting Alabama completely out, but no one was really high on Alabama winning that game going into it. I mean, you've got to remember that at this point, Alabama's coming off of a national championship loss to Clemson, and then they're going into the Sugar Bowl, and the only, I mean, the it's a huge difference, but Clemson lost to Sean Watson, and that was pretty much it. And Kelly Bryant had played pretty well that season. They're undefeated, so they're the number one team in the country. So when Alabama went in as the four seed, not a lot of people were giving Alabama a chance, and it's not often that Alabama has that underdog mentality. I want to say that they were favored uh, in that game, but I mean, that's I, I do remember not feeling super confident about Alabama's chances going into that game as much of Alabama fans didn't. Yeah, and on the Clemson note, Ohio State looked absolutely fantastic in that Sugar Bowl. Oh yeah, yeah they they looked scary good, and and that's the Ohio State that I thought we were going to see in that game. I I, I didn't think that Clemson was going to get shut out offensively like they did for much of the game. I thought they were still going to get their points. Um, but Ohio State, man, they came to play. All right, guys. So, elephant in the room, and I'm just going to go ahead, go ahead and say it. Ohio State looked fresher than Clemson. I can agree with that. Honest, yeah, I think they did. And I'm assuming you're saying that like, well, they don't, they played less games, so it kind of helps that – they, didn't, they weren't as beat up going into that game. I think it definitely does. Um, the one argument I will have to that is they had two weeks in between the game to rest up anyway. So it's it's not like Clemson was beat up going into that game. Clemson was fine. Um, I honestly think my biggest takeaway personally from that game, besides the fact that Ohio State is way more talented than the experts were giving them credit for, um, is that Clemson, especially on the offensive line, was extremely overrated this year. Their offensive line is absolutely terrible. I I have been saying that all year. I think the only good player on that team is, or the only good player on the offensive line is Jackson Carmen, and they got completely eaten up. Even he did uh, by that Ohio State defensive line. And honestly, that's why I like them to win that, or that's why I picked them to win that game because I like the matchup. Um, their front seven against Clemson's um, offensive line. Um, usually, Trevor Lawrence is pretty good under pressure, but I mean, he was. He was turned around and running his tail off the entire game. Personally, I think Clemson, I wouldn't say they're, they were overrated because obviously they deserve to be too. But I think we were giving them a little bit more credit um, than they really deserved because of their schedule. Yeah, and I want to just give major props to Justin Fields. That shot he took running up the middle was brutal. And this man came back and threw a touchdown and went absolutely berserk and through the rest of the game. That is mad toughness. That, that, that is saying, I feel like crap. My ribs are, are probably fractured. We don't know. But I have to win this game. I have to play in this game for my teammates. If I sit on the sideline in, 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 the, in, in the medical tent and mope about it, then it's going to be on me because, because I am the leader of this team. I am the best player on this team. And he said, no, screw that. I'm going to come out there 
and I'm going to go there and put on a show for all these people and for my teammates. And that, just major props to Justin Fields. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that shot was nasty. And it was right to the ribs in that kidney area. So I was, I was making the joke. Uh, I was like, man, that man's going to go pee blood at halftime because that did not feel good. And, you know, the the the, the thing with, with Ohio State is I don't think that they ever had – a chance in the regular season because they played so few games to really get a continuity with everybody on both sides of the ball. And the big 10 may be a little bit better than we ever gave them credit for. I know we were talking about, we've talked about like eye test, but not having those uh, conference games or those non-conference games to really give a good judge of, of what teams are what, I mean, Northwestern looked really good against Auburn. Um, So I think we got to give the big 10 a little bit more credit for, for what they are. And, you know, Justin Fields, heck of a game. But the guy that I, I think I'm most worried about going into that national championship game is Trey Sermon. The dude has absolutely gone off the past couple of weeks. He's gone for 600 yards in, the, like, the last three games. I mean, he's, just, he's playing out of his mind right now. And as I've seen pretty much all year, Alabama – has struggled against the run a little bit. And you could see that in the Notre Dame game. Notre Dame was just kind of getting in these long drives of where they were getting, you know, four, five, six yards of play. And this Ohio State team to me is built a lot like that 2014 team where they had Ezekiel Elliott that they could hand the ball off to. He's going to get 200 yards. And then they had uh, Cardell Jones at the time. Justin Fields is a much better version of Cardell Jones. He can throw the deep ball, but he's got legs. And so, so I mean, to me, this team is built a lot like that 2014, 2014 Ohio State team. And I'm interested to see, you know, how Alabama tries to defend Trey Sermon and Justin Fields with his legs. I mean, it, it, could, be, it could be a wild game. Yeah, Matt, I'll go a step further. I think it is disrespectful to compare Justin Fields to Cardell Jones. Justin Fields not- is, is, is leaps and bounds better than Cardell Jones. Yeah, I'm not I'm not comparing him to Cardell Jones. I'm just saying like this team, the makeup of this team feels a lot like 2014 with Trey Sermon running like Ezekiel Elliott right now and having Justin Fields who has a much better leaps and bounds ahead of Cardell Jones. Like that's scary. Yeah, the only difference I see in that 2014 Ohio State team compared to the team this year is their secondary. I mean, and when they won the national championship, they had guys like Eli Apple, Garyon Conley, Marshawn Lattimore. All those guys went first or second round. Like those were absolute stud uh, defensive backs. I don't think they really had that this year. Malik Hooker, he's a first round pick. I don't think they really had that this year. Sean Wade, um, he might have a chance to go first round, but to me, he's kind of struggled this year. He really hasn't been that good. Even against Clemson, he really struggled covering the guy he was up against. But I mean, either way, Ohio State absolutely dominated Clemson. Like I've been saying pretty much all year, they're a lot better than people were giving them credit for. The Ohio State team we saw in the regular season was more so due to the fact that they kind of saw themselves in the playoff already and were kind of just like, oh, well, none of these teams are really on our level. Even like Indiana might be a little bit different, but like Northwestern, there's no way they thought Northwestern was on their level. Like they they knew that they could they could just kind of waltz in that game and, and beat the crap out of them. Like, I mean, it's Northwestern, so... Um, I honestly think they just weren't that motivated to play against the teams they played against. And then once they got to Clemson, I mean, that was their, that was their home. That was their win. That was the only win they really care about this year. And until now, obviously, but like that, if they beat Clemson this year, it's a success. 
And, and adding on to that motivation was Dabo Swinney ranking them at 11 in the coaches poll. So in a game that they already were motivated for, Clemson just kind of poured it on a little bit and was like, hey, here's here's free motivation. Here's free like, bulletin board material. I mean, come on, man. Okay, so yes, that is free motivation. Good for Ohio State for using that as motivation. But you guys didn't didn't listen to what Dabo Sweeney said. He said that he ranked all the teams that played 10 games or more within the top 10. If you didn't play 10 games, you weren't in the top 10. So he said if if that were Alabama, if that were Georgia, if that were anybody that had played six games, they would have been ranked 11 too. That was not taking a shot at Ohio State. You have to you have to listen to it to everything that he said, not just take bits and pieces and 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 put it into what you think he said. He said any team that played 10 games or more would be ranked in the top 10. Ohio State didn't play 10 games. They're, you know, they played six. So they are ranked 11th. He didn't say Ohio State was not good. He gave Ohio State lots of credit and lots of props. I, I honestly think that was a good cover up for, for Dabo because Dabo, I mean, honestly, if if you're Dabo, what else are you going to say? Yeah, no, I don't think they're the, the fourth best team in the country. I, I, I think that. That was his way of being like, oh, well, I just wanted to give props to teams that played 10 games. Ohio State couldn't play 10 games because of their conference. I mean, you're, you're, if anything, you're in, and if you're Ohio State, you're saying, oh, so so we're you're saying our conference isn't as good as the ACC. Like, it doesn't matter how you spin it, Dabo. You, you're taking a shot at them in some way. Yeah, and speaking of the ACC and them going 0-6 in their bowl games, let's talk about the Orange Bowl. Uh, Texas A&M went up against North Carolina. North Carolina was missing um, a bunch of their – top players, top two running backs, and their top receiver. Um, and they still played lights out in that game. Um, they had a really good game. Um, what do y'all think about that? So I think that Mac Brown deserves a lot of credit because he was missing a lot of his offense. And his team still came out and played like their hair was on fire. And that is the complete opposite of what we saw in that debacle of a Cotton Bowl. Florida was missing a lot of their offense, and they came out there lackluster and basically said, screw you, college football fans, screw you, Florida fans, screw you, Oklahoma fans. Doesn't matter. But Mac Jones got his team ready to play, and that was an awesome football game. Texas A&M played great football. North Carolina played great football. Major props to those two teams. Oh yeah, I'm I'm with you. Uh that was a that was a fun bowl game to watch. It was a really close game. I would have loved to see those two teams go at it at full strength, but let's give Sam Howell a ton of credit too. I mean, he is a, he is going to be a phenomenal player. Uh you know, I I'm excited to see his development again next year. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's just a sophomore this year. So, you know, what Mac I I'm right there with you Lando. What Mac Brown has done with North Carolina is just continue to be, you know, a, a, a good team. And they competed with Clemson last year. I think they took a little bit of a, a, of, a of time to get going this year. Uh, they had a lot of hype behind them, and maybe that pulled them down a little bit early in the year. But maybe that – I think that Miami game is really when they turned it around and they said, look, we're not going to play down to our opponents. We're going to roll through them. And, you know – Jimbo Fisher obviously used that moment of Texas A&M beating North Carolina to be like, you know, oh, yeah, this is why I said we should have been in the final the playoff. But, look, Jimbo, we we all saw what was going to happen in that game. And 
you know, congratulations. You beat a depleted North Carolina team by 14, and you scored a garbage touchdown late, garbage time touchdown late to make it a 14-point game. You were losing for a good chunk of the game, and it was, it was a good game. I enjoyed the Orange Bowl. It was a really good game to watch. I said last week that I wanted to watch that game purely to see how Texas A&M would do uh, just to prove whether or not they should be in or out. And I- I'm fine with them being out, I think, after that game. See, I agree. I still think Notre Dame deserved to be in. And um, if they went up and played against each other, I do think it would be close, but I probably would still pick Notre Dame. But I'm a little bit in disagreement with you guys because I actually thought that Texas A&M did look good in that game. I know they were playing a depleted North Carolina team. And last week I said that their two-headed running backs uh, were probably their two best players on offense. I think Sam Howell proved, proved me wrong in that game. I think Sam Howell was by far the best player on that team. And I'm, I'm the, I think you could definitely say that North Carolina probably would have won that game if they did have everybody on offense. But to me, Texas A&M, actually, I think Texas A&M, Texas A&M played the best that they played all year in that game too, especially on defense. They actually looked like a team that recruits at a top 10 level in that game. And I don't think I've seen them look like that since uh, Jimbo Fish, honestly, ever since I've been alive watching Texas A&M. So one thing that really stuck out to me, and I kind of looked into it after watching the game, is they bring back every single player on that team except for Kellen Mond and their entire offensive line besides their left guard, Kenyon Green. And uh, he was a five-star offensive lineman, I think, two years ago. So they, I think they have a really, really, really good chance. And I know they're kind of like Texas. Like people talk about them every year. Like, oh, Texas and is going to be better. They're more talented. They have, they have better coaching. I think next year is the year that they are going to compete with Alabama. Do I think they're going to beat them? I don't know yet. It's We still have to see who's going to leave from Alabama. Um, people still could declare from Texas A&M and go to the NFL draft. Um, and that could change things up a lot. But I would watch out for Texas A&M next year. Oh, definitely. I've been saying for a couple of years that, and even this year, or, or a lot earlier this season, I went on the record and said Texas A&M was the second best team in the SEC West. Uh, even that was after they were one and one, and they had they had a five point loss to or five point win against Vandy. And A&M, it, to me, they have that Clemson feel to them where they're really, really close. Like what Clemson was in like the the early or the late 2000s, like 2009, 2010, 2011, where they're a pretty good team, and now they've just got to take that next step. There was this whole term of Clemsoning where they would lose a game they weren't supposed to. And I think, I think A&M is in that realm right now of having the potential because they've got the recruiting classes. Jimbo Fisher's a really good head coach. You know, give him his credit where 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 it's due. Uh, he's done a really good job with that program, and I really see them as having the potential to be that next Clemson type of program where they make that step and they become one of the elite programs in the country. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. But um, let's talk about the Fiesta Bowl too. Um, just while we're uh, talking about these New Year's Six games, how about Iowa State? I think we kind of talked about them last week and. You know, we kind of some of us were saying like Iowa State's really not that great of a team, but Oregon's worse, so they were going to beat them down. Um, I think Iowa State looked really good in that game. Uh, so who said Iowa State was not that good of a team? Maybe it wasn't on the podcast. Maybe it was in the group message. Might've, Mark did. Might have been in the group message because Iowa State is a really good football team. They are well coached and they have a fantastic running back. And uh, Brock Purdy did exactly what he should have done. And that's not make boneheaded mistakes. He he played smart football. 
And that was a great game between uh, Iowa State and Oregon until Iowa State pulled away at the end. Iowa State, actually, like, they, they did exactly what I thought they were going to do. That was such a well-scripted first drive. It was like seven minutes, right down the field, touchdown. And then Oregon scored fast, but Iowa State didn't freak out. Matt Campbell is a phenomenal head coach. Iowa State is a good football team. And you could see that in the game against Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship. It's really hard to beat the same team twice in a year. And those teams are pretty even as far as talent goes. I, I think, uh, you know, Oklahoma's a little bit more young at quarterback with Spencer Rattler. And so early in the season, I think he made some young mistakes. But Brock Purdy, when he doesn't turn the ball over, when he's that quote-unquote game manager type quarterback that you hear people talk about and you let Brees Hall do his thing, they're a good football team. And Brees Hall is one of the best running backs in the country. Um you could have made an argument for Brees Hall to be on the on the TV tonight as a final candidate for the Heisman uh, because of the way that he performed all season long. So Iowa State, that, that game kind of went how I expected it to, a little bit back and forth, Oregon keep it close, and then Iowa State pull away late. See, I think, um, like we were talking about with Texas A&M, I think Iowa State is another one of those teams next year that you could actually see them, assuming Matt Campbell stays. Because if he leaves, it's it's all it's all changed. But Brock Purdy announced after the game that he's coming back. Brees Hall is only a sophomore, so he has to come back. Um, I think the only really good player they lose um, that I can think of off the top of my head is Charlie Kohler, their tight end, and he's a very 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 good. He, he there's potential for him to go maybe into the first round, top of the second round. Like he's that good of a tight end. But um, besides that, like if they bring back Matt Campbell to come and coach that team next year, if he doesn't jump to um, a different job or potentially to the NFL, they like as good as I think Oklahoma is going to be next year. I think Iowa state has a chance to maybe try and catch them again. I just wanted to say, I changed my mind. I really enjoyed bowl season this year. I still think the bowls didn't really matter, but I did notice that the atmosphere was a lot different than I expected. And we kind of talked about this uh, the past two weeks that we thought a lot of teams were going to come out there and just roll out their helmets and not really play for anything. But actually what we saw was a lot of players really playing their hearts out. A lot of teams were coming out there to prove something. Teams like Ohio State came out and played. Um, Cincinnati came out and played, even though they lost. That was a fantastic game. Really, really fun game to watch. And uh, we got to see a lot of good football. Yeah, the only good football we didn't see was from the Florida Gators. And yes, Dan Mullen is a horrendous football coach. He had the (laughs) he had the gall to say, we have the numbers to not even play this game. Really? Because you had 66 players dress out for that football game. Oklahoma had 58 players for that football game. So who really didn't have the numbers to play that football game? Oh, Oklahoma did, and we still came out there and steamrolled them. And okay, yeah, you don't have your top four receivers, uh, pass catchers. Uh, receivers don't don't throw the football; the quarterback does. And yeah, I know there's there's a whole thing you have to have, you know, uh, camaraderie with your receivers. They have to be on the same page with you. At the end of the day, you still practice. You still you still knew you you were not going to have these guys. So game plan around that and perform better. Dan Mullen threw in the towel after the first half because Kyle Trask only played one series in that second half. One series. Like, what are you, like, what a slap in the face to fans like myself, to, to longtime Oklahoma fans. That is a slap in the face to me. Here's what, I, here's what I'll say about Dan Mullen. I don't think he's a horrendous coach, but I think right now he has a, he is, not developed a good culture 
at Florida. Because last year, you look at Alabama in the Verbo Citrus Bowl, and guess what? We didn't have very many people opt out. Jerry Judy still played in that game. You look at Georgia this year. Richard LeCount and various seniors went and played in that game. Because why? Because they wanted to play for their coach. Because they wanted to play for their programs. Because they wanted to have they have that sense of pride. Dan Mullen has not developed that sense of pride and that sense of culture at Florida. And you could see that in the Missouri game when he's out there pumping up the crowd after they get in a fight. You could see it. In the SEC championship, when things got a little chippy there for a minute, and there was almost a fight in that game. Dan Mullen is a phenomenal offensive mind. Dan Mullen is not building a culture at Florida that is going to be productive to long-term success, in my opinion. Because with if if we we had talked about this earlier, if this is a prediction of next year's team, like you, we said earlier, like oh, you see the, the cool thing about bowl games is you get to see what next year's team looks like. You're losing Kyle Trask, you're losing Kyle Pitts, you're losing Kadarius Tony, you're losing Tony Grimes. If that's the Florida product that you're going to put out there next year, I'm sorry, I don't think Emory Jones is going to be able to to help you out much. And Wit, I'd love to get your input, and Keys, I'd love to get your input because I know y'all are Georgia fans. But to me, it looks like Kirby Smart and the Dogs run the East. I just thought it was really crummy of Dan Mullen to basically do what Lando is always talking about, where he basically said, oh, we didn't want to be there. I thought the practice squad played great. You know, that was just so crummy of him to say. That doesn't that doesn't support your team at all. It just really shows you didn't care about it. I'm just going to say a couple things real quick. If you want to look at proof that teams care about playing in their bowl games, Look no further than Georgia wearing black jerseys in the Peach Bowl against Cincinnati. Because, I mean, I think, like, you could say, like, Curry kind of did the same thing with Georgia back in 2018 when we kind of came out there and played against Texas. And, you know, some people say maybe they didn't show up to that game. I think that definitely wasn't the best game Georgia played that year. I don't know if I would say they didn't care. But Kirby was not going to let that happen this year. And I think the fact that Aziz Ojolari played, the fact that Jordan Davis played, the fact that Tyson Campbell played in that game. Those like big time uh, potential first, second round draft picks who like putting their bodies on the line, have a chance to get hurt and could potentially like take some money out of their pockets. If they did get hurt in that game, ended up playing. Um, like you were saying, Dan Mullen obviously has created a culture where like people don't really care to play for him if it's not for the national championship or for the SEC championship or whatever. So, but like that's, the, I think that's the difference between a program that is going to compete for national championships for years to come. And for a program that's going to compete hey, here, here and there, every so often, it's not going to recruit well um, like Florida kind of has been recently. Um, and I'm not, I'm pumping the brakes. I'm not saying Georgia owns the East yet because Florida did win it this year. And Dan Mullen um, as much as he's a clown. He is a great offensive coach. And I think this year could be entirely because of his offensive coaching. So um, but I definitely think that if you're looking at it right now, Georgia is obviously the better program. Uh, I've got one more thing to add about Dan Mullen, and that's that you saw this from him at Mississippi State too. This is not new. He was the same exact way with Mississippi State. You look at that Orange Bowl where they where Mississippi State lost to Georgia Tech, and it, it was the same type of thing. Oh, like you know, we didn't want to be there because we were the number one team in the country at one point, and then we lost. And it's like, okay, look, Dan. 
at some point, you've got to take ownership that your guys buy into your attitude. And if your attitude going into the game is that this doesn't matter, then your players are going to follow suit. And if that's the type of coach that he wants to be and he's okay with that and he can sleep at night, fine. But I, I find it hard for any program to take a step to be a national title contender with that type of mentality. You've got mail. Yeah, let's go ahead and move on to the mailbag. Um, our first question is from at Ian underscore Kessler 51. His question is, how do you feel about Ohio State hitting the gas against Clemson, being the underdogs, and how do you feel about Ohio State being underdogs to Alabama? Will this game be a shootout? So I I think that Ohio State kind of played kind of like I expected them to. I didn't think that they were going to win the game. I thought they were going to lose by like five. Um, I thought it was going to be a really close game. Ohio State played really good defense. That defensive line looked really good, and I don't know if that's an indictment on how bad Clemson's offensive line is or if Ohio State's defensive line is really good. Um, As far as the Alabama game goes, I think the keys for Alabama to win is Trey Sermon. Uh, They've got to figure out a way to not let him get going. Uh, And then the secondary, is Malachi Moore going to be healthy? and Patrick Sertan. I think that you're going to see a difference in the secondary between Alabama and Clemson with Patrick Sertan being a a projected first-round draft pick. Uh, He's not going to get, you know, completely shredded. I think Malachi Moore is going to play a big piece in that secondary. Um, I think it's going to be a shootout. Obviously, Ohio State's going to care about that game. Um, We'll see if they used all of their energy on that Clemson game, but I think it's going to be a really good shootout between Alabama and Ohio State. I've seen a lot of people saying that Ohio State just showed up for that game and they're not going to be the same team against Alabama, you know, whatever. Whether or not they come out like that or not, for the sake of the viewers, I hope they show up like that because I can't stand to watch a blowout game in the championship ever. And I want to see these two two teams battle for an instant classic. I want to, I want to see a really good game in this championship. And I think if, if both teams come out, we'll we'll get a really great game. Yeah, I'm going to save my breakdown of this game uh, kind of for later once we actually get into um, talking about the like our picks and everything. But my biggest takeaway from like Ohio State blowing them out is like when I was when I was making my prediction last week, one thing that I was completely wrong about is I thought Ohio State would struggle in the run game because of how good Clemson's front seven is. Um, and even though, yeah, they lost uh, they lost that number 47, who's probably their best linebacker. I think the fact that Ohio State's offensive line stepped up the way they did, they I mean, they've been talented all year, but I would say that they really have kind of underachieved until they played against Clemson. So like Wyatt Davis, Harry Miller was a five-star number one center in 2019. Um, their entire offensive line is pretty much all five stars. They're absolute studs. They've been great since they've been there. Um, and that was one reason why I picked them to win the national championship at the beginning of the year, um, because I thought that that offensive line was kind of going to carry them. Um, and I really like Trey Sermon coming into the year. And then I thought he kind of struggled to be at the beginning and maybe he kind of fell off, but he's actually started to pick it up. So I, um, I think it was great. I, I, I wouldn't have picked it. If I had to go back in time, I probably still wouldn't pick it for them to uh, blow out Clemson. But I think it was crazy. I think this game will absolutely be a, shutout, or a shootout, though. And uh, on to the next question, we have a question from at Edwin underscore Cook underscore 19. His question is, will Sarkeesian's departure take a toll on the Alabama offense? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I believe uh, it will not take a toll on Alabama's offense because Sark is still going to coach 
we believe, in that national championship game. And I think that says a lot about Sark's and Nick Saban's relationship, how, how, how close they are. Because if you look at when um, Lane Kiffin was offensive coordinator for Alabama, he got left uh, off the plane and, and didn't show up to, to coach in that, in that national championship game. So, uh, and that, I think that really took a toll on, on Alabama's offense. I don't think this is going to have any effect on, on Alabama's offense in this game. You know, I really I, I hope that it doesn't have an effect. I could see it having an effect. Now, we've seen this before with Alabama coordinators. Seems like every single year there's somebody that's leaving and, and Alabama's in contention. Uh, 2015, we saw it in the national championship. Kirby had already accepted the Georgia job. Uh, 2017, we had it happen. Pruitt had already accepted the Tennessee job. I think the difference is, is defensively, I think it's a little bit easier to have a defensive coordinator that's got a job elsewhere and his mind might be wandering a little bit uh, versus an offensive coordinator. Because when it, with the offense, you have a lot more scripting early in the game and game planning that you do early in the game versus defensively, you kind of already have your scheme. You break down film with the guys and you walk through what you're going to do and kind of your plan of attack. And then you make adjustments at halftime. Uh, I think offensively, is it's a little bit it takes a little bit more focus and especially as explosive as our offense has been. I hope it doesn't take a toll. I think Sarkeesian is professional enough to where he's going to give it his all. And, you know, it would look better on him to leave and go to Texas with a national championship on his finger than it would not. So uh, I, I think he'll, he'll be ready, but we'll see. He better coach in that national championship. Cause if not, he's not going to have a ringer on his finger for a very long time. Uh, Cause he's definitely, I, Fully don't believe that he's going to do that in Texas. Um, I took this question as to say, like, or like if we're talking about next year, is it really going to change anything? To me, since Alabama has started bringing in good quarterbacks like Mac Jones and Tua, it doesn't really matter who's coaching the defense because, or who's coaching the offense. Because even before Sark got there, like right now they're averaging 48 points a game. They have 578 total points on the year through 12 games. And in 2018, before he even got there, they had 45 points a game and 684 total points. And I think it was one more game. So they, it, it's not like it's that big a difference. I honestly don't think Sark is really that big of a reason for how good this offense is. Like, I don't think he's a bad play caller whatsoever, but um, I think when you have the talent Alabama does, my grandfather could go out there and call games and they'd, they'd still beat teams like they're beating them. I think Sark has been successful in the recruiting side and that's what's made him a valuable asset on uh, in the offensive. And I mean, the game planning plays a huge part too. Yeah, that is very true. Um, but on to the next question, we have one from at Costa underscore Boscovic one. And his question is, will Ohio state's offensive line win the matchup with Bama's defensive line and let Sermon keep balling? Yes. Ohio state's uh, off, uh, offensive line and Alabama's defensive line are going to match up quite well. And I think Sermon is going to keep balling because of what Justin Fields does with his arm and with his legs. Now, Fields is going to be, you know, limping into this game with, with, with some sore ribs. But I still think, you know, his legs are going to be a big factor in this game. So uh, Trey Sermon is going, is going, it will keep balling because he is a beast of a running back. Uh, there is no doubting that. So he will keep balling no matter what. Yeah, I agree with you, Lando. I think Trey Sermon's going to get his... And like I just said, Alabama against running teams 
has, has struggled a little bit on the defensive side, uh, at least early, until they can make some adjustments. When Justin Fields, adding the element of Justin Fields' legs along with his arm, you've seen it before, and it's been an indictment on Alabama forever. They struggle with running quarterbacks. So how do they balance with having – a running back like Trey Sermon and trying to stop Justin Fields, I, I think Trey Sermon's going to get his. Yeah, like I talked about earlier, I, Ohio State's offensive line is extremely talented. They're really good. And obviously, Bama has a fantastic defensive line like they always do. But th- this year in particular, they don't have that one guy that's like that run stuffer, no, first overall or uh, top 10 pick defensive tackle like they usually do when they win national championships. And I think that's going to play a big part in um, – Ohio State's offense getting that run game going that along with um, the linebacker play from Alabama I think that Ohio State's offensive line matches up well with their front seven I think the front seven uh, I'd say Clemson's front seven probably is better than Alabama so I would say that Ohio State should be able to have success moving on to the next question we got one from at Kissler underscore 106 and uh, this one's kind of a fun one his question is who are your favorites to win the national championship in 2021 Wrong answers only. Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's going to win it all next year. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking wrong answers, let's talk about Texas. Like, I mean, like I just said about Sarkeesian, he's taken over there. I am not really sold on him as a coach. Um, he might be an okay recruiter, but, um, I mean, I, I saw what he did on the Falcons with Julio and Matt Ryan. Um, I don't really think what he's doing on the offense is much different than what anybody else has done with Alabama's offense or what like anybody in America could do with Alabama's offense. So I'm wrong answers only in the national championship next year. hundred percent Texas. I'm going with Georgia Southern winning the national championship in 2021. Well, not anymore since we just lost shy words to Louisville. Hey, he's going to play receiver. So hopefully uh, he could turn his career around, go be an NFL prospect, but. He's the next Lamar Jackson, and you know it. Yeah, I don't know about all that, but let's move on to our next question. This one's from ch- at chat s underscore five two nine, and his is more of a comment kind of question. But he says, "Coaching carousel, best hire, worst hire, and most puzzling hire so far." So for me, the best hire out of this group is Will Hall to Southern Miss. It's kind of an unknown hire. I don't think it's been talked about a whole lot, but uh, Southern Miss is a program that has a lot of potential. They're kind of like a Georgia Southern where they've got a lot of good facilities. They've got a lot of opportunity. They've had some success in the past. Uh, A lot of people have called them the Boise State before Boise State was Boise State uh, because they were a a good team that was beating Power 5 opponents. Uh, Will Hall's going from Tulane as the offensive coordinator. He's going to bring the spread option to Southern Miss. I think with the talent they'll get there i think that was a really good hire for southern miss to help get them get back on the on the map uh worst hire is terry badden to ulm i have no idea where ulm was going with this i mean terry bowden he's obviously from the bowden family tree but he's no bobby um and he was at akron for seven years two bowl game appearances and to me the Sun Belt is more difficult than the Mac so I don't see him being very successful at ULM uh, that's the the worst hire for me puzzling hire um, so I, I had a few different things that I was thinking of uh, one being uh, Sark I'm with you with I, I don't really know if I'm sold on 
uh, Sark going to Texas and being super successful. I don't. I think to me that was a more puzzling fire. Like, why do you get rid of Herman if you're not getting Urban Meyer? Uh, but to me, the the football coach that's the most puzzling is Arkansas State's get uh, or not really getting rid of, but uh, Blake Anderson leaving from Arkansas State and going to Utah State. Utah State hiring him. That's a really puzzling hire to me. Uh, he's been at. Arkansas State for seven years now. Uh, he was a seven nine nine win guy for a while. I don't really understand where the appeal comes from of hiring that guy at Arkansas State or at Utah State. So to me, it's like you know, I know that his his wife passed away uh, in twenty nineteen, so maybe he just wanted a fresh start. But his coaching career seems to be on the decline, not really on the rise. So weird hire there for me. I want to use this question to talk about the University of Texas. So they did the right thing for firing Tom Herman. They didn't give Charlie Strong a chance. He only had about three years with Texas and they gave him the boot. So the same treatment should have gone to Tom Herman, which is what happened. They gave him the boot. You don't perform. You don't beat Oklahoma. You don't compete for, for Big 12 championships and, and possibly college football playoff appearances. You get the boot. Okay, you don't recruit within the top 10. Right now, Texas is, is I think, 17th in recruiting, battle, battling it out with Tennessee and and teams like West Virginia. That's awful in, in Texas's standards. Now, on to Steve Sarkeesian. I personally believe he is going to become an alcoholic again, coaching for a program like the University of Texas. Because they are an absolute dumpster fire. Any coach that goes there is set up to fail. Because of the boosters and the people who, who, who pump in money to the University of Texas. Because they automatically expect a coach in year one to come in there and, and be in the national championship. Beat Oklahoma. Do all these great things when that is not going to happen. You have to have the coach come in there and get his system right, get the players to buy into a system to be able to compete for national championships and to beat Oklahoma and do all those great things. So Texas, I mean, you did the right thing by firing Tom Herman, but I really feel bad for for Steve Sarkeesian because he is going to have a rough go at it at Texas. Yeah, completely agree with that. So for me, the best hire um, so far that I have liked is Clark Lee to Vanderbilt. And the reason I like that is because Clark Lee – Played at Vanderbilt. He went to high school down the road from Vanderbilt. Is he going to win the East anytime soon? Is he even going to have a winning record very often? Probably not. But um, considering Vanderbilt has very low standards for what they want in their football team, they just want to be somewhat competitive with even the worst teams in the league. So I think he will have them there maybe winning four to five games a year, which to their standards is actually very good. So Clark Lee is my best hire. Worst hire is Butch Jones. I don't think Butch Jones should be anywhere near a football field unless he's a like offensive analysts for for Alabama sitting in the back, like taking classes from Nick Saban uh, on his on his off time and whatnot. He just does not deserve to be coaching football players. So Butch Jones doesn't need to be anywhere close to anywhere. So uh, he's by far my worst hire for Arkansas State. Uh, my most puzzling hire is going to be Shane Beamer at South Carolina. And my reasoning for that is because according to South Carolina, Shane Beamer was the guy they wanted from the very start when they fired well, must champ. And to me, it's like when you got guys like Billy Napier, you got Matt Campbell out there, Luke Fickle, um, you got Hugh Freeze was a possibility potentially. 
um, Bill Clark for UAB. There's plenty of guys out there that you could have, like, you could have tried to go after, and and I, which I would have thought they would have been well better hires than Shane Beamer. Um, and Beamer ends up being your guy. I I just that's very odd to me. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, he's not a hire that scares me as a as a fan of a team that's in that division. Um, I don't think that Georgia is going to struggle with South Carolina anytime soon, um, unless they have a win like against Georgia, like they did two years ago, where it's just out of nowhere, um, which happens. But I, I just don't, I just don't get it. But on to our next question. This one is from at Coach Kissler. Um, his question is: Finish the sentence. If Justin Fields doesn't com- decommit from Penn State, uh, I think Penn State is ahead of where they are now. I think that a couple of years ago, uh, I guess it would have been his freshman year uh, and his sophomore year, they really would have, like last year, they really would have competed for a Big Ten title uh, and, and a playoff spot. And But I really don't know if Penn State would be that different from a recruiting standpoint. Like, are they going to – I don't know if they would be out recruiting Ohio State – and Justin Fields will be having to play against Ohio State's defense, who I think is one of the best in the Big Ten pretty consistently. And they get the best athletes uh, in the Big Ten. So, you know, I've, I've got to give – I've got to – I'm going to say that, he, that Penn State would be a very good program. I agree with Matt. If Justin Fields did not decommit from Penn State, I think they would have at least made a playoff in these last three years. At least. Because if, if he would have started there his freshman year – which I think he would have because it was the year – I'm pretty sure it was the year after Trace McSorry left, or it might have been his senior I don't know. But they only lost to Ohio State by one that year. And I'm pretty sure they were leading most of that game. So Penn State, if they would have had a decent quarterback or if they would have had a good quarterback or elite quarterback like Justin Fields, I think they would have beaten Ohio State. And I think you could have said the same thing last year. Penn State hung with them, uh, even though – Ohio State was a really, really good team. If you take Ohio, if you take Justin Fields off of that team that Ohio State had and put him on Penn State and give Ohio State either Tate Martell, who was their quarterback at the time, and see what happens there. I mean, or Danny Clark or whoever the heck was the backup for Justin Fields last year. I think Penn State would have beaten the crap out of him last year. I mean, Penn State had a really good team. The only thing they were missing was a quarterback. They had uh, Sean Clifford, who I think is the worst quarterback in the Power Five. And if you take him out and sub in an elite quarterback like Justin, hell, even a competent quarterback, then I think they're easily a playoff team. Um, But we'll move on. We're getting into our pour one out slash cut them off segment. Lando, who you got? All right, so this week I'm pouring it out for the Big 12 Conference for going 5-0 and in our bowl games. Great job, guys. Way to hold the banner up for the Big 12 as much as as the SEC likes to claim dominance, we went undefeated this year in, in bowl games, so ha ha ha. And I want to cut off the ACC for going 0-6 in their bowl games. That is awful. So I'm pouring one out this week for Derrick Henry. Uh, Derrick Henry, he is the first back-to-back rushing, yard, rushing yards champion in the NFL since LaDainian Tomlinson in 06-07. He is... The uh, he, he eclipsed 2,000 yards. He's the first person to do that since Adrian Peterson in 2012. Uh, and fun fact, there have been, I, I believe it's seven people who have been the back-to-back rushing yards champion in the NFL, and all seven of them are Hall of Famers. Uh, so Derrick Henry, is he a Hall of Famer yet? 
Probably not. His career has not been long enough. But he's well on his way to a potential Hall of Fame career. And, uh, you know, we'll see if he can do it again next year. I think he would be the first person since O.J. Simpson to win it three years in a row. Or Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith is the first person since Emmett Smith to win it three years in a row. So, uh, shout out to Derrick Henry. And cutting off this week, I'm cutting off Doug Peterson. And here's why I'm cutting off Doug Peterson. It has nothing to do with the Giants not getting into the playoffs. It has nothing to do with that. My issue with it is, is the guys on your team, on the Philadelphia Eagles, the players that were out there busting their butts, Doug Peterson told them and that the last seven minutes of the game didn't matter and he didn't care about any of them, essentially. And you could see the players were visibly upset on the sidelines and confused at the fact that Nate Sudfeld comes in to play quarterback instead of Jalen Hurts. I'm sorry, but that was a terrible move. And his whole excuse was, oh, well, I wanted to evaluate talent and see what I had for next year because if they trade Carson Wentz, he wants to see if Sudfeld is a actual piece to be QB2 behind Jalen Hurts. I'm okay with you doing that in the last game. If you do it in a moment where Jalen Hurts is not taking your team down the field and giving you a chance to score points. I'm okay with you doing that if you do it randomly throughout the game or if you do it in the second quarter, if you do it in the third quarter. But when you have guys on your team like Jason Kelsey who have been contemplating retirement, sitting on the sidelines, looking pissed off because he knows that he doesn't have a chance to win his last game now because his head coach decided to play a potential QB2 who's really QB4 who's terrible Instead of Jalen Hurts and giving him a chance to win, I got to cut you off, Doug Peterson. I'm sorry. The NFL is a business. The sixth pick is better is better than the ninth pick. I understand that logic, but tell that to your players. And even Miles Sanders, even Miles Sanders, even Miles Sanders came out the day and was like, "We didn't know what was going on, and we didn't like so." Doug, Pe- the, the problem is for Doug Peterson is in the NFL. It's not college where in two or three years you're getting a new crop of players anyway. You got to look these guys in the eye next year. And if you lose your team and you lose your locker room, you might as well go ahead and hand your keys to your office to the to the GM because you're not going to have a job anymore. All right, Matt. So the NFL is like that because you the, the, those players can be can be gone the next day. He can trade away all those players if he wants to. If, if he just goes to talk to the GM, so you know he he is the coach of that team. He's the leader of that team. That's what he wanted to do. So be it. Sixth pick, ninth pick. Still getting cut off, Doug Peterson. Well, anyway, uh, on to my pour one out. I'm pouring one out for Raheem Morris uh, for doing exactly what Matt was cutting off Doug Peterson for doing. Uh, For doing what Dan Quinn could not do the past two years and completing a true take and securing a top five pick for the Falcons. Um, The past couple years, the Falcons have been terrible until halfway through the season, and then they were fantastic. And it has been absolutely ridiculous. Um, I am hoping and praying on my knees that Justin Fields falls to the Falcons at four and that Justin Fields is the starting quarterback or the backup quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons next season. Um, so I'm speaking that into existence, but my cut him off this week is going to be Dabo Sweeney for the exact reason we were talking about earlier. Um, I mean, he's just an idiot. I'm not sure what Dabo Sweeney was trying to do by running his mouth as much as he did before that game and pulling his antics, like ranking Ohio State at 11 in the coaches poll. And I know we talked about, like, he did that because he was saying, you got to win 10 games to be in the top 10, whatever. I think he did that because 
he was just trying to take shots at Ohio State for only playing six games, and he thinks it's just not fair because his team played a better schedule and played more of a schedule and whatnot. Um, but I think it's just ridiculous. I think it's bad for his team, too, because, I mean, they knew that Ohio State had enough to play for anyway coming into that game, and then all you're doing is adding more locker room uh, locker room material for them, and, and that's just not a good idea for a team as talented as Ohio State. So, Debo Sweeney, you're getting cut off this week. So this week I am pouring one out for – Justin Fields and Trey Sermon, and really just Ohio State. Uh, Justin Fields had 385 yards passing for six touchdowns, and Trey Sermon had 193 yards on the ground for a touchdown. Just absolutely phenomenal game from Ohio State. They really showed out when they needed to, and I'm really excited for next week. Hopefully they can they can bring it again. And I am cutting off Kyle Trash. We've already talked about him today. Just Really did not have a good performance at all during that game against Oklahoma. And I haven't been on board with him all year. And I'm glad that someone, I'm glad that he finally proved why I wasn't on board. So I'm cutting off Kyle Trash one final time this season. Oh boy, I love it. But all right, we're going to get into our picks this week. And because there's only one more college football game left this season, um, we're going to go ahead and pick all the wild card games uh, for the NFL game. So uh, for our first game, we have the Indianapolis Colts, who are the seventh seed in the AFC heading into Buffalo to take on the two seed, the Buffalo Bills, um, in a game that is will be the first game played by a seven seed in NFL history, I believe. Lando, who are you picking? Buffalo Bills are hot. They look really good, and they're supposed to have uh, at least a couple fans in the stadium for, for this playoff game, so I'm going with the Buffalo Bills. Bills Mafia podcast, baby. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. And I'm rolling with the Bills in this AFC playoff matchup. I really, I really, really want to see the Bills go to the Super Bowl. Like, I really want a Bills Super Bowl. And I am so pissed that we don't get full stadiums because that atmosphere would be absolutely electric. It's supposed to be freezing cold. It's Bills weather. I mean, the the Colts are pretty good. Jonathan Taylor is 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 doing well, but I, I think you're going to see Josh Allen ball out in the playoffs. Bills, baby. Yeah, I'm taking the Bills too. Um, I'm just not a big fan of Phillip Rivers, even though he has impressed me this year. Um, after everybody kind of wrote him off coming to this year, saying that he's just kind of too old. But um, the Bills are just a better team, and they're playing at home. I think they're going to win by double digits. Um, and on to our second AFC game, uh, we had the sixth seed, the Cleveland Browns, led by Baker Mayfield, taking on the number three seed, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Lando, who are you picking? So, Kevin Stefanski tested positive for coronavirus today, so he will not be able to coach in the game this weekend. And there are also, I think, two players who tested positive, so we'll see if they'll be able to play uh, over, over the weekend. My heart... Says Cleveland, but Pittsburgh is going to be fully loaded, and the Browns barely beat Pittsburgh over the weekend on Sunday. I'm going with the Cleveland Browns to do the upset. Baker Mayfield, chicken bake. I'm going Steeler Nation here. Uh, I think you, you look at that game this past weekend, and it was a two point game. Mason Rudolph almost beat them, and the Steelers' defense didn't have their two best players. TJ Watt sat out, Cam Hayward sat out. Uh, they're coming back for this game. I think the, the Steelers' defense with TJ Watt, TJ Watt, the NFL sack leader this year with 15 sacks, uh, phenomenal player. That family is just a gene pool for excellence. Uh, so 
Big Ben's going to be back. Which Big Ben are we going to get? He's actually got a week off now, so maybe he's going to be nice and well-rested. Um, I'm, I'm going to go – I think the Steelers are going to win. I think it's going to be a close game. But the the loss of starting left guard, actually, is the one of the players that tested positive, and he's out for the game. And not having Kevin Stefanski is going to be the difference, in my opinion. Yeah, they lose Joe Petonio. Uh, they lose uh, Hodge, one of their top receivers and Stefanski uh, to COVID. But honestly, I think that if they can get back some of those pieces in their secondary, like Denzel Ward, I think the Browns have a really good chance of making this um, a tight game. Big Ben's had a good year considering uh, he came back from injury from last season, but I think his time is slowly starting to come. He's, he's getting old, and I mean, you can even see it in his play. It's really started to deteriorate as the year's gone on. Um, I just think that he doesn't have the stamina he used to have, and I think we're really going to see his age show in this game in particular. So I'm going to take the Browns. I think they're winning by three. And on to our last game of the AFC wild card. We had the Baltimore Ravens heading into my hometown, uh, the Tennessee Titans uh, in Nashville. Lando, who are you picking? Tennessee does it for the second straight year. Tennessee beats Baltimore. Matt. So I think last year's Ravens team, they came in. They were having a lot of fun. Lamar was unstoppable. He's on the sideline with the sunglasses. They're having a good time. And after they lost, Lamar said it. He was like, yeah, we, we didn't come into this game 100% focused. Uh, the Ravens are a different team this year because they kind of got written off a few weeks ago that they weren't going to make it. They had the big comeback win against the Browns. I don't. I, they they kind of are taking on that underdog mentality. And it kind of reminds me of like the the Giants from a few years back uh, like whenever they would get hot and the Ravens in 2014, when they won the Super Bowl, where they got hot, uh, and, and ended up winning and won a Super Bowl. So it's going to be really hard in my opinion for the Tennessee defense this year to stop the Ravens because the Titans defense has not been good. They've been so bad the past few weeks. Uh, I think the Ravens are going to do what they've done best the past few weeks. They're going to rush for 400 yards. And I think that it once, once Tennessee falls behind, it's it's going to be hard. They can't feed Tractor Cito uh, and let him get his yard. So I'm going uh, Ravens here in a seven-point game. Matt, I'm right there with you, man. I think after last season, there's no chance the Ravens lose this game. The Titans defense has some really good pieces like Jonathan Simmons, but it's been abysmal this year. They really have not been very good. Um, and the Ravens offense has turned it back on here recently after taking a big dip uh, during the midseason. But – my heart is telling me to go for the Titans uh, to pick them, but I think that uh, my gut's telling me Ravens. So I'm going to take the Ravens, and I think it's going to be pretty close, and I'm going to hope I'm wrong. And uh, on to our first wild card game for the NFC. We have the number seven Chicago Bears taking on the two seed, the New Orleans Saints. Lando, who you got? So for those who don't know, this game will be televised on Nickelodeon. That's freaking awesome. I have the New Orleans Saints winning this game. Chicago's backdoored into the playoffs. Trubisky is playing better, but it's not going to be enough. New Orleans. Leave it to Lando to know something about Nickelodeon. He's the biggest SpongeBob fanatic I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and SpongeBob's going to be on the sidelines, too. <laughs> finally watched SpongeBob, followed by the matchup of the week on Nickelodeon. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the Nickelodeon game. It's supposed to have, like, googly eyes and stuff. Um, so... Many people don't know this. I am not an overly active NFL fan. I have always been a closet Bears fan. I don't know why. I just love Soldier Field. I love the cold weather. 
I I don't know what it is about the Bears, but I've always really liked them. And now Eddie Jackson's there, and Eddie Jackson's one of my favorite all-time Alabama players. So I want to, I want to, I want the Bears to win. It's not going to happen. They're playing in the Superdome. They're not playing in bear weather. They're playing in a dome where Drew Brees can be comfortable in 72 degrees and not freezing cold and miserable. So I've got the Saints winning this one. I think the Bears defense can keep it close early, but, you know, uh, I've got to say the Saints. Yeah, I think we're kind of all in agreement here. The Bears barely backpedaled their way into the postseason, and the Saints, to me, are the only team in the NFC besides the Packers who have a chance at winning a Super Bowl this year. So... I'm taking the Saints, and uh, I'll be watching them on Nickelodeon because that's the only way I can watch the Saints without wanting to uh, claw my eyes out. So I'm um, going Saints. I, I think it's going to be, it's gonna, I think it's going to be a beat down for sure. And uh, we'll move on to our next game, our next NFC wildcard game. We have the six seed Los Angeles Rams taking on the three seed, the Seattle Seahawks. Lando, who you got? Seahawks, easy. I think the 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 defensive matchup here is is really awesome. Uh, these two teams have played each other twice. They're one and one against each other. Rams won the first matchup. Seahawks won a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the secondary for the Rams is nasty, but in the last six weeks, the Seahawks have had the number one ranked defense in the league. The first nine weeks, the Seahawks had the number one offense in the league. They've never been able to get it all together. Uh, if they can figure it out, they, to me, are a really scary team in this NFC playoffs. And if they get hot on both sides of the ball, I think they could do some damage. Uh, I've got Seahawks here, but I think it's going to be like a 10-point game, maybe less. So, you guys, for me, the Seahawks were my pick to win the NFC at the beginning of the year. Um, I had them go into the Super Bowl. So, I really should just keep rolling with them. But um i honestly really like the rams here i think they should be getting jared golf back after uh his thumb surgery last week and to me their defense is a whole tier above the seahawks um and i think that's going to matter a whole lot in this playoff game so i got the rams in a close one and uh we'll move on to our last wild card game we have the tampa bay buccaneers who are the five seed heading into washington uh lando who you got tom brady is 43 years old he threw 43 touchdown passes this year. I'm going with the GOAT, Tom Brady. Uh, so this this game, I think, is is pretty interesting because the Washington football team defensive line is really young and really good. Chase Young is going to try and get after Tom Brady, and that's the recipe for success against Tom Brady. you got to put pressure on him. But I think ultimately the, the Tom Brady is going to – open him up he's going to hit those short passes uh if if Mike Evans is going to be healthy I don't think he's going to play this week because of the hyperextended knee but uh they still got weapons like Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown and Gronk and Robert Jones and Leonard Fournette and the list goes on so I'm taking the Bucks. uh I think it's going to be closer than what people are saying but I'm going to take the Bucks. wouldn't it be something if after an entire season of talking about how bad the NFC East was they not only get a playoff win, but a playoff win against the greatest quarterback of all time. I don't expect that, but that would be that would be absolutely crazy. That would be very 2020, um, even though it's already 2021. But I got Tampa Bay. I think they're going to win big, even if they don't have Mike Evans, like you guys said, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, yeah, even little old Scotty Miller. Uh, those guys are all weapons. So I think I think Brady will be just fine. So Bucks by double digits. And on to our final game, obviously the game of the weekend, even though it's on a Monday. We have the college football playoff national championship 
being played in Miami. We have Alabama, who was the number one team in the country this year, as a seven and a half point favorite over the uh, number three team coming into the playoff, the Ohio State Buckeyes, after just a beatdown of Clemson in the Sugar Bowl. Lando, who you got? Justin Fields, Trey Sermon, and Chris Olave are going to play out of their minds in this football game. It's not going to matter. Roll Tide. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I, I am really, really torn on this game. Obviously, my heart says Alabama is going to win. But after watching the way that Ohio State played as a complete offense last week, it makes me really, really nervous for this game. I think seven and a half is really generous of a spread uh, because, like I've said, Trey Sermon in my opinion, is the biggest factor in this game. If Alabama can shut down Trey Sermon, Alabama can win the football game. If Alabama lets Trey Sermon run for 200 yards, Alabama is going to lose this game. Uh, If Christian Harris is more healthy this week, I think that's going to be a big, big help at linebacker. He came out after the first half in the Notre Dame game. And one thing that I've picked up on with Alabama is in the second half, of football games, the Florida game and the Notre Dame game, the play calling takes a little bit of a dive and the offense isn't as potent. They'll come out in the first half and they'll score five out of five drives, six out of six drives, touchdowns. And so they'll 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 get a 21-point lead or a 14-point lead, but they're so explosive on offense that they score so fast, and then they get into the second half and then they start to get a little cheesy with the play calling. I'm going to take Alabama in this one because I have to. I, I, I have to. I'm an Alabama fan, and I believe that my team is going to win. Uh, but this game makes me really nervous, and I think Alabama is going to win by a touchdown. Uh, but I could also – it wouldn't surprise me if Ohio State gave us the Clemson treatment in 2018 and we got absolutely blown out uh, just because we start pressing early and we turn the ball over. So I'm going to go Alabama by seven, and uh, hopefully we get – Title number, I'm going to call it 16 because there's two that we claim that are like iffy. 18, 16, doesn't matter, roll tide. Yeah, no surprise there, Matt. Um, Man, I'm excited for this one. I think it's going to come down to what Ohio State team we get. Is it going to be the team that we saw uh, struggle through a win against Northwestern or is it going to be the team we saw last week that blew out a really good Clemson team? Um, Even though I was talking about Clemson, how – uh, maybe their offensive line is, isn't really that good, and they have a couple of holes here and there. They're still a really good team. They were they were at least a top three team in the country this year. So, and Al, Al, or, uh, or Ohio State steamrolled them. So, to me, the team that I saw play Clemson last weekend was the best team I've seen all year. Um, but to me, the emotions from that game for Ohio State are exactly why I'm worried about this game. It's so hard to pull off an emotional win like they did back to back weeks. Um, even though that's what they did in 2014 when they beat Alabama and then they turned around and blew out Oregon in the national championship game. Uh, to me, ultimately, I think it will come down to who can get a couple stops on defense. And um, personally, I like Alabama's defense um, in their matchup against Ohio State's offense more so than I like Ohio State's defense matched up against a- a- Alabama's offense. So to me, I think Alabama's going to win the game by four. But I think this is going to be the highest scoring national championship. I think it's going to be a record. I think it's going to break the record, whatever it is. I haven't even looked it up. It's going to be the highest scoring national championship of all time, and it will go down as one of the greatest championships we've ever seen. But Keys, uh, what about you, man? Do you have a a pick for this week? 
I know I don't usually get to pick these games. You guys are the analysts. But uh, for me, I'm just hoping Ohio State comes out and and plays like they did last week because that's going to be a fantastic game. I, I agree with you too, Wit. I think it's going to be a shootout. You got Mac Jones, Najee Harris, and Devonta Smith, and you got Justin Fields and Trey Sermon. And I think it's just going to be a fantastic game. Hopefully it comes down to the wire and we're looking at an instant classic. For sure. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, it's going to be a really good game. Um, but before before we end the show, guys, um, I just want to get you all Super Bowl picks real, real quick. Um, Lando, who do you got Who you got winning the Super Bowl and who you got them playing? Buffalo is playing the same type of football the Chiefs were playing last year when they won the Super Bowl. So I am going the Buffalo Bills over the Green Bay Packers. I think the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl, obviously, um, because Patrick Mahomes is a difference maker for the Chiefs. Uh, if I have to, if I'm doing a breakdown of all the NFC, uh, the AFC teams, my heart wants to pick the Buffalo Bills. I want them to, I want the Bills to to go so badly. I just don't know how anyone's going to beat Patrick Mahomes in that offense. Uh, the Chiefs have played down to opponents all year. I think the Chiefs are going to go out of the AFC, and I think they're going to beat. I honestly think it's going to be the Packers because there isn't any, there's not going to be a lot of fans at any stadiums this year. And to me, home field advantage was so important for the Packers because going and playing in sub 30 degree weather or sub zero weather is way harder for teams like the Saints that I think that they can go on and, and win a couple of games. And if they have to play Green Bay in Green Bay, Drew Brees is not a cold-weather quarterback. He's not good in cold weather. So I'm going Chiefs over Packers. Both one seeds make it to the Super Bowl, and the Chiefs ultimately win. Dang. So we all have the Packers. Um, I actually have the Packers beating the Chiefs. I think this is going to be Aaron Rodgers' uh, second Super Bowl and um, most likely his last as um, even though he's playing really well, I'm sure he he's not going to be around too, too much longer uh, in the NFL. Um, but I think after they drafted Jordan Love last year to pretty much be his potential replacement down the road, I think Aaron Rodgers had a, a brilliant year. I think Derrick Henry should win the MVP, even though Aaron Rodgers has been really good. And I think Aaron Rodgers will win the MVP. Um, but I'm I'm taking uh, old school versus new school. Uh Aaron Rodgers over uh, Pat Mahomes. And that's our show right there, guys. Uh, thank you guys for listening. As always, we appreciate it. Please give us a follow on Instagram at Around the Keg and on Twitter at Around the Keg Pod. Send us any questions or topics you want us to discuss on the show, and we'll be happy to include as much as we can. Um, hope you guys have a great week. See y'all.